welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. And now here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Springer. Oh, thank you. Oh, please. Please. Oh, wow. Can you all see back there? Oh, yeah. Okay. And it's I had good to thing say they have the that. Jumbotron here so the jumbotron. people way back there yeah. can see. And I had to say, here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Springer, because once again, yeah, where is she? Megan Hills, and I knew nothing of this, is not here. Is this another vacation day? I think it, it well, I don't think there, it should be, but no. she is on her 11th cruise since January, actually. This is ridiculous. And I've asked David Pruce, our technical producer of Ambient Studios, to call her, and I said, get her on the phone. She knows we do this on, on Tuesday evening. She evenings. does know. Yeah. And I think and she takes we a may have week. her on the line. Uh, Megan Hills, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Jane. Oh, and listen, well, there's a hesitation. I, I know oh, yeah, you're, oh, oh, you're there, <laughs> but you're not here. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm... Um, so I'm on vacation because it's my time to go on vacation again. Unbelievable. I, I, it's, isn't it? And I've been keeping track here. I think you were on and there was Belize. It was Cancun. There was uh, the whole, there was the Alaskan. Belize. Cruise. Alaska. And I, uh, I, yeah, South my China. Count, my counts has it at 11. This is your 11th <laughs> cruise. 14. 14. 14 is worse. <laughs> Um, it's not it, worse. That's not worse. That's no. what Jerry and I talked about before I ever got hired. I don't I, understand what the problem is. So, so this is the question I have to you, Jerry, is when you hired Megan, you... It was your business plan. Your, bu- well, your wonderful business, business plan. plan. And how many fair. weeks vacation do you give somebody? Well, 17, according to Gene's 17 vacations, plan. and they're not like single-day vacations. Well, yeah, 17 Meg- weeks 17 weeks, 17 well, weeks. that's one-third of the year. Well, look, Megan, uh, could you be back here next week? I, I mean, I'm hoping to. Can you Jane. turn the boat around? All right, if there's, we'll see. We'll see how it's the a ship It's a ship. It's not a boat, if right? If there's not it's a Zika a crisis ship. on the ship, if there's not it's engine. It's a ship. Ca- it is a ship, right? Yeah. Right. So right. please, we hope to see you next week. And, uh, it would thank, be, yeah. Thank you from, I guess it was probably a ship-to-shore call. Who's paying for this call? Yeah, you right. are, Jerry, of course. Oh, my thank God. Thank you. Appreciate I guess it. that's part of that's the business plan. The okay, thank you. Business plan. Megan Hills, everybody. Thank you. Enjoy thank you, your Megan. trip. Enjoy yourself. I love yeah. you guys. All right, bye-bye. <laughs> you know bye. what that makes me this think is, of? Uh, I think that your staff is so out of control. And I was thinking... Uh, this was you. <laughs> you're in charge here in, in terms of hiring Oh, I'm the producer of the show. I'm right. not... So I guess that maybe that does include that. Yeah, on I got to get that business plan. On my show, down. we run a tight ship. Well, let's just check that out. Okay, I know I'm not going to use her last name because I don't want people stalking her. But I know Jenna. Yes, and Jenna is your personal assistant. I know Jenna. I know. Jenna is no Megan. Jenna uh, is a friend of mine. No, no, no. no Jenna and Megan are both wrong. incredibly yeah, they cool. They both great. Yes. David Pruce, I'm going to ask our technical producer if he would get Jenna on the line. I'm going to test something. I'd like to see if Jenna has 17 weeks of vacation. 
David's signaling me he has her. Jenna, hello, how are you? Hey, Gene, I'm good. How are you? That's Jenna. Jenna, Jenna. Hey, Jerry's part. That's his hey. actual. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. You're Actually, welcome. Actually, she is my assistant. And I, uh, we were together earlier today in, in Stanford, Connecticut. Because you shows. do your, this is Tuesday. Yeah, we were. And, yeah. I have dealt with her as well through my business with you a number of times. She's amazingly uh, competent. Uh, very pleasant, very easy to work with. Yeah. No, no uh, drama. Obama oh, kind of person. Very a, cool. And uh, Jenna, Megan Hills, who works for this podcast, is on a cruise again. She's again? 14 cruises since January. Now, um, that has to be a record. That has to be a record, Jenna. Yeah. I agree. Well, yeah, but we, we don't want to do that, do we, Jenna? That's wrong. We don't need um, that much time off, Jenna. Well. No, we don't uh, need. Yeah, no, I love working 365 days a year. See, that's the way it works at the Jerry Springer show. That's what she's saying. You she come works. in every day? <laughs> yeah, right. I am on call every day. Well, well I, we just do shows Mondays and Tuesdays. Your calendar is full, Mr. Springer. You are doing go. something every day. Well, I she's making that happen. She's the person. The one. Do you type that up? That that is me. I am the little elf in the night who makes it all happen. <laughs> well, that's great, but you get vacations, don't you? I have no idea what Jenna. Uh, you know, uh, Jerry, you're a busy guy. You hardly have vacations, and uh, when you're on vacation, I'm really working for your next your next event, your next month of. You know, political meetings, shows, yeah. news appearances. How do how, that's all true, by the way, isn't it, Jenna? That is true. I mean, when no. we were at the Democratic convention, you were on the ground keeping track of everything. That's actually true. Yeah. She did a great job, Jerry. You, you because we got a schedule every day, and we kept feeding stuff. No, we in give every, you get a vacation, don't you? I'm feeling guilty now. You don't get you vacation. Feel guilty. Well, you know, I do okay. get vacation, but I'm on call. So Good I don't point. get to take 14 cruises from January Thank like you. Megan. Thank you. This podcast thing's looking pretty good. I hear ya. I hear I'm going to try to figure out how I get some of these vacations, I think we got to get you and Megan together and having a good old-fashioned smackdown. Actually, they would get along Ooh. very well. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jerry, you, uh, yeah, I think you have some WWE stuff coming up on your schedule, so maybe we yeah. can... Uh, there you go. Yeah, we'll put you guys there on Monday go. Night Raw. Right. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Jenna. Hey, thanks, Jenna. Hey, back to work. Yeah, back to work. <laughs> I'm just going to say, I have a lot to do. Thanks, guys. Thanks right. for asking, Gene. Absolutely. We love having you on. See you, Jenna. That's Bye. Jenna. She does. She does. Yeah. She is so cool. She does a great job. I mean, just balancing all the crazy stuff. We hey, do. let me ask you yes. something. Uh, yes, what was your first job, by the way? My... Well, the very first job I had was, uh, I was a, but it was only a couple of weeks a year. I was a ball boy at the Westside Tennis Club in Forest Hills, yep. New York, for the tennis championships. And uh, this was, it wasn't yet an open. It, back then, they were all amateurs. And it was 1957, 58, 59, and 60. And what and, came after that? And then I, uh, Dunkin' Donuts. You're kidding. I worked at Dunkin'. I was in charge of, of filling the donuts. No, I'm serious. I worked at Dunkin' Donuts, and they put, once in a while I worked at the counter, but then they put me in the back, and they had this tub of cream, 
and I would take the donut, hold the donut there, insert, and then uh, you pump know, it in. Put your, pump it in. Pump in the so cream. You made cream donuts. You think that was easy? The first day I'm there, I figure, oh, this is great, because they had like 57 kind of donuts uh, there back then. I don't know. They may still. I think they still do. Yeah, yeah tons of donuts. And so I said, you know, are we allowed, what's the rule about are we allowed to eat the donuts, you know, while you're there? And, they, and they, the guy said, you can eat as many as you want. I'm figuring this is great. <laughs> now, this great. is not a joke. This is a true story. So the first day there, oh, my gosh, I ate this, I ate that. I ate about 13, 14 donuts. Like in that just on the spot. That night, I threw up the entire night. <laughs> but so sick that, honestly, for years, I never had donuts again. I, just the smell of them, it was just it was horrible. And that's how they cure it. So they tell every new employee, eat as many as you want, knowing, knowing full well that it, it, it really works. You know, that made me think of uh, my high school prom. And I, when I went to the prom, you know, I'm getting all excited. I'm going to this prom. Yeah. I had a date with somebody I really wanted to go to the prom with. And the first thing I did, Jerry, is I went to a tuxedo store. Yeah. And I go in, and, and I was going to get measured for a tux, get a tux like yeah. you do when you go to a prom. And... I was probably in there for like an hour and a half because there was a huge line. It was, I guess, like prom yeah. season. I leave there after an hour and a half. I go over to nearby in the city that I lived in was a place where you could rent limousines. And yeah. I had made some money from my part-time job. And I go in to get a limousine for the prom. And a huge line there, just like the tuxedo place. Took forever. I leave there. I go to a florist to get my date a corsage. And there was a long line there. Unbelievable, isn't it? It's unbelievable, Jane. And then I go to the prom. <laughs> and the prom, Jerry, was wonderful. Everybody's, you know, I got my date laughing and I'm, you know, I'm a great dancer. So I'm doing dancing <laughs> with her and she's just having such a great time. The whole thing kind of came together. It was wonderful. And at one point she said, I'm having so much fun. I'm kind of thirsty. And I said, I'll go over to the punch table. And I went to the punch table and there is no punch line. This is, this is pathetic. This is, you know, there are people at this moment sitting in their cars. Why did I wait those this? three minutes? <laughs> three minutes. Then we're never going to get back again. Never. We're never going to go hey, back again. by the again. way. I had no luck. Well, you know, I was stood up at my um, prom. I didn't know what, yeah, what happened. Well, Phoebe, she called. I think I told the story. She uh, I had a date. I had never had a date in high school. I mean, never. Not like once in a while. Never had, had a date. No dates. And then, uh, you know, my sister said, uh, you know, Gerald, everyone's going to, you know, you go, yeah, to, the prom, go to the prom, call up a girl. And I was shy, I didn't know. So I wrote out what I was going to say. I was going to call this girl Phoebe because in fairness and no slight on Phoebe, but she didn't have any dates either. So I figured this would be a good one to call because she, uh, you know, she was kind of like me. So I wrote out what I was going to say. Back then we had party lines on the telephones. And uh, <laughs> meaning that multiple people use the same use line, time. so you had to pick it up and make sure no one no else one was, was talking on, on it. But someone else could pick it up while you're on right. and listen. Yeah. So now, wow. good. No one was on the phone. I'm nervous. I got my speech laid out in front of me. I dial, and um, I guess Phoebe's parents, one of the parents, answered the phone, and they said, "Phoebe, it's for you." And who is it? It's Gerald. Oh boy. So now I start reading my speech. 
what I didn't count on, that she would talk to. <laughs> you didn't so, leave the spaces in the script. No. So when she stuck, I then lost my place. I had to start all over <laughs> again every time. I don't know how many times you said, hi, Phoebe, this is Gerald. I'm in your <laughs> class. Would you like to? Anyway. Was the prom great when you Well, let me went? tell you what happened. She said, yes, she would go. Yeah. And then the day before the prom, so I go out, I rent a tuxedo. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm going to have a date. Long lines there, I understand. And they weren't long lines there, but I got it. <laughs> the day before, she calls and says she's not feeling well. She won't be going. Whoa. Well, how do you know how you're going to feel tomorrow? No, you don't know. And so I spent, this is God's truth, the night of the senior prom, my parents felt so bad for me, they took me to the Turnpike restaurant where yeah. I'm having dinner with mom and dad at the turn on Queens Boulevard in New yeah. York on the night of the prom. And I'm sitting there in my tuxedo with mom and dad. I think that's where we all go, oh. It was pathetic. But yeah, things got better because a couple of, uh, about a week later, on the part of this, this young woman called up and she says, Gerald? I said, yeah. Um, and she was being really nice to me, you know, I think you're a really nice guy or whatever. And she said, no one's home. Why don't you come on over? Oh, my wow. God. I got nervous. I didn't know what to tell my parents. So I went on over and she was right. No one was home. <laughs> I mean, you no know, it's funny, when we were coming up here, you came up the steps and I would, went back to make sure the car was locked and I saw a guy, and I actually knew this guy from way back, and he said, hey, check this out, this is the best hearing aid money could buy, and he showed me, and I said, well, what kind is it? And he said, oh, 4.30. No, but anyway, um, so I wanted to ask you something. You, yes. you said something, uh, and by the way, let's hear it for the Beck family because there are a bunch of Beck family yes. members in the house tonight. And also, and let me say, when I you know, talk about my plane, Yes, that's what I wanted to bring up, by the way. Nothing compared to... No, I wanted to mention And, and a bunch of them. He's got a fleet. He has, he has many, many planes, and actually I was privileged to get a ride on his plane with my first wife Bonnie and when we were when I was on there I realized oh that plane's much nicer than yours oh much nicer much nicer and probably way more expensive I'm just you know friend to friend but <laughs> don't you think <laughs> hey no <laughs> like it is, how it's, it's very, hey it's, let me ask nice. you something yes, yes. <laughs> aren't there now 13 whole golf courses well what's that all about I don't know if they're built yet, but it is because we were we were well, with uh, the Becks over the weekend for annual weekend up in Charlevoix, which is beautiful there, and we have a wonderful time. And we always, you know, talk about playing golf. And so we got into this discussion. Frankly, eighteen holes of golf is more than I more than I want to do anymore. I mean, there was a time that I kind of enjoyed. Now it's really tiring. So I like to go out and play golf. But, you know, if you only play nine holes, they kind of think you're a little wimpy. You're not going to, you know. And so Jack Nicklaus um, is actually now designing 13-hole golf courses because they're finding out in the marketplace a lot of people think that 18 holes of golf really is too much. If you're not a, you know, professional player or someone who really plays all the time and really into the sport, being out there... You know, it, it takes the whole day. 
you're talking about five, six hours by the time you go back and forth and have a drink afterwards. So it literally takes the whole day. So he's kind of got a good marketing idea that he will design 13 whole golf courses. So it's a little more than nine. So you kind of feel that you're really playing, but it's, and I thought that I was just that a great idea. On. I, I think it might. I, I think it's a great concept because not so many young people today are playing golf compared to what it was a bunch of years I ago. I bet if they look at, maybe they've done this and it's akin to a business plan, but look at what, what do the statistics show of the level of play and the economic viability today of country clubs and golf courses. I know country clubs are way down. Well, they're all struggling to get people just to join yeah. and then to stay in and pay the fees to keep them up. And maybe um, it is an economic, an act of economic desperation. They'll try to change it to 13. Oh, to sure. They they're can trying all on. kinds of marketing things. And that, and that could be a good idea. I it mean, could I, be if it. it was 13 holes, I'd go play. And speaking of sports, uh, Colin Kaepernick, yeah, the quarterback, San Francisco 49ers. Nah, yeah. He's kind of a backup quarterback now, and that might relate to this whole thing. But uh, what did you think of what he did the other day? Yeah, he has he now two games in a row not stood for the national anthem, which has created a furor. And the reason he's not standing is that um, he is protesting what is happening in our country. Uh, as he says, there are bodies in the street and uh, 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 the police officers involved aren't losing pay. And, uh, and, and, you know, his words, there's murder going on. And just the whole way that the, the black-white issue is being dealt with uh, on the streets with law enforcement and uh, Black Lives Matter, the whole bit. And so he is saying... He doesn't want to stand for while they're playing the national anthem because it's his way to protest that this is not something he is proud of, that America should be proud of, and he doesn't want to salute the flag while that is going on. It is, uh, you can imagine, uh, there is much protest to the fact that, you know, and, and a lot of people are tying it into the military, saying, you know, all these young men and women who have given their lives and others who are risking their lives for our country, it's a sign of disrespect that when you play the national anthem, whatever your politics are, whatever your view of a particular issue is, you know, the one thing we should all get together as a nation is that when you play the national anthem, you stand up and show respect. Uh, he has chosen not to do that. My view of that is... Number one, the beauty of our country, the beauty of the flag, the beauty of the national anthem is that it gives people the right not to stand. So that's the first thing. So even if you're angry at him for not standing and it's not a position you would take in our country, that is perfectly acceptable. If that is your way of protesting and it's peaceful, you can do it. It's, uh, it's like people who won't pledge allegiance to the flag. That's what the flag stands for. You're right not to pledge allegiance to it. Now, if it's me, I would stand up. I always stand up when they play the national anthem. And I think what I would say to him if I was sitting with him saying... I'm on your side a lot on the issue, not totally, but a lot on the issue. But if everybody who had a complaint about how our society was 
we would never have people standing up during the national anthem. Well, no one would pledge allegiance to the flag because everybody's got some beef about our country. You know, we have had discrimination in our country. I mean, obviously, first slavery and uh, then the discrimination of not permitting African-Americans to be in, sit at the same lunch counter, go to the same movie theaters, be in the same restaurant, um, or stay at the same hotels. We had all of that. And yet people were standing for the national anthem. In other words, America is an idea, and it is a goal. It is a journey to which we hope one day to aspire, what we aspire now, and one day we would achieve. When you celebrate the national anthem and the American flag, we are celebrating the journey to get to the place we ought to be. But we're never going to have a nation if the only time we're going to pledge allegiance and honor the national anthem is when America is perfect. It won't be. We're human beings. You can't have that perfection. You try to get there. That's what we're celebrating. So what I would say to Colin Kaepernick, I respect your right to protest. I even admire the risk you're taking. There's some horrible things that have been said about him now. But remember Muhammad Ali? Remember how he was the most hated man in America? This was before people turned against the Vietnam War. All of a sudden, he's one of the, the sacred titles in sports back then was to be heavyweight champion of the world. And here he was coming, an African-American, be heavyweight champion of the world, but he was saying, oh, by the way, I'm no longer Cassius Clay. I'm now Muhammad Ali. I am now a Muslim. And I will not step forward to be drafted. I will not go to Vietnam. And the price for that is I will lose my title and I will go to prison. My professional life is over. We hated Muhammad Ali. And let's admit, within the last decade, he's probably was, he died this past year, the most honored private citizen in America. We all were proud when he, you know, lit the Olympic torch back in 96. So with all the venom that is being spewed at Colin Kaepernick for taking his position. Step back for a second. No one is suggesting that it is something you have to do. But to respect someone who is paying a price, and believe me, he is paying a price. My guess is, you know, his football career is almost over. He certainly has lost all revenue he would ever get for endorsements, you know no product is going to touch him now. So he has basically made a calculated decision. I believe in this so much, I am willing to lose my economic viability, at least at the stratosphere that it was at. I mean, he was a Super Bowl quarterback. That takes a hell of a lot of guts. So I don't have to agree with him for the method he chose. But boy, I have a hard time not respecting someone that is willing to stand for what they believe, do it in a nonviolent way, and pay a price. He's not asking for a free ride for his protest. He is paying a price. I can honestly say, I don't know if I ever did that. 
I don't know if I ever paid that price. Yeah, good, good comments. Hey, by the way, uh, we just came from a, I guess you'd call it a house party for Hillary Clinton in a suburb of Cincinnati, a neighborhood in Cincinnati. And, uh, and that was really good. And Jerry Springer made some motivating comments there. And we also have on our website a link through to Hillary to connect with Hillary if somebody, because uh, we are unabashedly supporters of Hillary Clinton. And uh, also on our website, I'm trying to find two other drivers to join me to set the world record for how many miles you can put on a rental car uh, for the Guinness Book of Record. Uh, it's called Unlimited Mileage. And I will tell you, Jerry, I'll report after you and Megan, I, I thought it was very rude, said, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I don't want to spend a week driving around with me all over America, virtually nonstop, stop to go to restrooms and McDonald's, get breakfast, lunch, and dinner at McDonald's. And uh, because they give a time stamp receipt for the meals, and that's how I would prove, because you have to prove it to so the Guinness Book of Records. So for someone that hadn't heard this last week, what you're doing, you want to set the Guinness Book of Records mm -hmm. for putting on the most miles on a rental car. That has unlimited mileage. That has unlimited mileage. Right. Uh for one week. For one week. And, and, and you're going to drive all around America. Wherever you want to go. Never stopping you the imagine? car except for gas because. That's it. You got to set the record. Well, That's you'll it. set the record when you go two miles because there is no record in the Guinness Book. Well, there is none, but but I'm, I want to set the record. I, I want to do sort of like Pete Rose 4297. Was that what it was? No, 40? 4291. 4292. 4192. 4192. That's it. 4192 uh, hits. And I want to set it. That was Ty Cobbs. He broke it. And I think it's 41. Oh, yeah. He hit more than that by the time he was done. Yeah, 4155 or something. But I want to set the level where it can't be broken. <laughs> and, and the way yeah. it would work is. And you why? Know, we, would we just finished talking about Colin Kaepernick, who's sacrificing his whole career for a cause, and your cause is to set the record in the Guinness Book of World Records for putting the most miles on a rental. Boy, see, for what purpose? You have no vision. You, you really, you probably would have stood. If this you were, is the stupidest it, idea I ever if heard. If you ever went to Kathmandu and you looked up at... About 30,000 foot yes. Mount Everest, and you'd probably say, who cares? And others of us would say, we must climb it. Yes, because it's there. And because you want to there. do the unlimited mileage because it is there. I suppose, yeah, yeah. because it's there. Because, well, it's not there. It will be after I do it. Yeah. So, again, I appeal, and I, obviously, and I'm looking at the back row of the Beck cousins back yeah. there that are the cousins and the nephews and nieces yeah. of Louis Beck, our friend, I probably need some younger men and women to share who share this vision yeah. and who feel that they have the to, the physical abilities to ride around in a car in a Lincoln Town car is what I'm thinking. One driver in the back always sleeping, one driver always driving, one driver talking to the driver. And it'd be so you'd, you'd be okay if it was two younger women. I don't care, man, woman. If you can drive, no, you got a driver's you're license. You're talking to me. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> you got a driver's license. Hey, look, yeah, you want to go? That, with that's two a, guys. you know that's really yeah. a stupid question. That would be like saying to an astronaut, "Do you mind if it's a woman in the capsule with you?" Who the hell cares about that? You're well, focused because she's on wearing the spacesuit. What? Difference well, let them wear spacesuits. I don't care. 
I'm about doing something that's important. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I want to do. Yeah. Something that's important. I yes. I like the podcast and all that, and it's very lucrative for me, but I oh, yeah. want to do something that's important. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, let me ask you something, because you know stuff that a lot of us don't know, and because you're so well-read. and So there is this thing in our Constitution called a Constitutional Convention, and we read about it in the school books years ago, and I know you have to have, like, I don't know, two-thirds of the states have to pass it, and then it takes more to actually turn what they come up with from the constitutional gathering into something. And then you told me the other day that there are actually, I was stunned, a whole bunch of states have where the legislatures have already voted on the gathering of a constitutional convention in those states. Is that accurate? Do I have that, that right? You have it exactly right. What's uh, going on with this? It, it, it's kind of scary. And the scariest part, at least initially, is because it's going on so quietly. My guess is 99.9% .9 of Americans don't even know this is happening. Let me give a little background how we got to where we are. But the, the issue is a constitutional convention to amend the Constitution that means they could alter the Bill of Rights. They could alter anything in the Constitution if they get the votes. We've never had one before. We've never had a state-sponsored constitutional convention. Now, bear with me while I try to draw a, a line through all of this. Two decades ago, Hillary Clinton was complaining about the right-wing conspiracy when they were going after a bill for the Monica Lewinsky thing. And she talked about the right-wing conspiracy and, you know, people jumped on her. What right-wing conspiracy? Well, the truth is she was right, but not in a sinister way. There has been a right-wing conspiracy, which all that means is more than two people getting together and conspiring to do something. You can have a conspiracy to do something good. The right-wing conspiracy, though, probably started at about the time of Barry Goldwater. Uh, he came about in 1964. For about 30 years, starting with the Depression, America had become very liberal in its philosophy. We had Roosevelt with the New Deal. We had Social Security. We had Medicare. We had LBJ following with the Great Society. When Kennedy's assassinated, then he comes up with uh, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, uh, the uh, Equal Rights Amendment. In other words, America was starting to shift clearly, clearly becoming very liberal in terms of big government, government a way to solve issues, the whole culture was becoming more and more liberal. Well, there were some right-wing people that didn't like it. In fact, they even saw Republican presidents just accepting the liberal way of life as mainstream. So Dwight Eisenhower never questioned having Social Security. He never questioned the New Deal. He was really, today's standards, he was really pretty liberal. In fact, the issue with the Republican Party, why there's this suddenly right wing trying to take over the party, is they have been disappointed 
by their candidates, by their own party. So Goldwater came along really in response, not to the Democrats, but really in response to Dwight Eisenhower and Richard Nixon as his vice president, how the Republican Party was just accepting everything that happened with the New Deal. And now Lyndon Johnson is the president, and he runs against Lyndon Johnson because we have the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, and he wants the Republican Party not to be Rockefeller, not to be uh, George Romney, not to be Richard Nixon, who the right wing viewed as way too liberal domestically. And the truth is, Richard Nixon was. Richard Nixon, by today's standards, would be an absolutely moderate Republican. He was pretty good on civil rights, actually. So that, that was what Goldwater was about. He got trounced in the general election, but he started to take over the Republican Party. Then, because he was trounced, they get Nixon. They're disappointed with Nixon. Nixon with the EPA. Nixon going to China. Wait a second. What's happening to the right-wing philosophy? They even were unhappy with Ronald Reagan. The growth of government even under Reagan. The increase in taxes under Reagan. Reagan dealing with the Soviet Union. And of course, as I said, with Nixon going to China. With Bush, they were really unhappy. Bush went against his promise, read my lips. No new taxes. So the right wing has tried to take over the Republican Party. That's where their great fight is. It's not with the Democrats. It's with the Republican Party taking as a starting point that they're not going to mess with Social Security. Nobody messes with Medicare. This is America now, mainstream, basically liberal. Even though we give conservative speeches, we live liberally. The whole culture is becoming liberal. Gay marriage, an African-American president, the whole demographics of America. And this is ticking off that right wing. So what did they do starting with Goldwater? The first thing they did was start organizing to win local races. They started in the 1960s organizing to win races for state government, state legislative races. Democrats didn't do that. The Republicans did. And they gained control of the state houses in most of the states. What does that mean? The Republicans get to draw the congressional districts. And so now we have districts where no one is challenged anymore in the primaries. And if you're a Republican, you've got a safe district. All you have to do is stay conservative and you'll win your party's primary and the district is yours. The Democrats went along with it. Why did they go along with it? They wanted to have black representation in Congress. So they were okay that when the lines were drawn, all the blacks were put into one district in, in, in the inner city where they would win 90% of the vote. So you knew you were going to get black representatives, but there wouldn't be enough Democratic votes left in the suburban areas to win any of the other seats. So even though most Americans vote Democrat, Congress is overwhelmingly Republican and will remain so. That was their strategy. Now they've got the Congress. The Senate will always be somewhat conservative, even if the Democrats get it. The reason is because the way the Senate was created by our forefathers is that every state gets two senators. So a state like Idaho, which is obviously conservative, rural, or Utah, or Montana, or Wyoming, all those states get two senators. 
New York and California, they only get two. So even though most people vote Democrat, the Senate will always have a great conservative base. Even if a Democrat gets elected from states like Montana or Wyoming or Utah or whatever, it has to be a conservative Democrat. So you never get great liberalism coming out of the Senate anymore, even if the Democrats get control. So the right wing, okay, we got the Republican Party. We got the Congress because of the redistricting we've done. We've got the state houses. The Senate, even if we lose, we've got enough conservative votes there that we don't have to worry too much about the Senate. What's left? The demographics are such that it's going to be very hard for Republicans to elect presidents anymore. America has become much less white. There's one thing they still want to do. They're not sure they can control the Supreme Court. They want a constitutional convention. Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution says that if two-thirds of the states, which amount to 34 states, if the state legislatures in two-thirds of the states, or if the state has a local convention, if they call for a constitutional convention, there has to be one. Two-thirds of the states call for a constitutional convention, there has to be one. Then that constitutional convention, what they're calling for now, is a constitutional convention to have a balanced budget amendment. They want to amend the U.S. Constitution so that Congress has to balance the budget every single year. Well, you know how impossible that is unless they cut basically every domestic program. And in tough economic times, how can you have a stimulus program? If there is a crisis, how are you going to be able to fund that? Basically, it is a wonderful way to cut all the social programs, particularly for poor people. So that's the amendment they want. So they want a constitutional convention. They only need 34 states. Do you know that 28 states have already passed it? They only need six more to have, and we're going to have, for the first time in American history, a state-sponsored constitutional convention. They only need six more. There are still seven states who haven't voted on that that have Republican legislatures. So the chances are in the next two or three years, we will have two-thirds of the states calling for the convention. Now, admittedly, once you have the convention and they pass a resolution for whatever amendment they want, it doesn't get to be the law unless three-quarters of the states pass it. And that would take 38 states. But to have the convention and to have even the proposal there to amend our Constitution, they only need six more states. Now, we've never had this constitutional convention before, so we don't know what the rules are. We have to make them up. Once you have the constitutional convention, who's to say that they'll only deal with a balanced budget amendment? What's to stop that convention from saying, you know what, while we're at it, Let's outlaw abortion. While we're at it, let's rescind the First Amendment and make some changes so that we don't have to let Muslims into the country. 
They could write an amendment which says that on certain religions, you have to pass a certain test of allegiance before we let you in. They could make that a constitutional amendment. They could change anything in the Constitution. Six more states. No one even knows it. Have you seen one program on any of the cable news networks? Maybe there's been one. I haven't seen it. No one's talking about this. In the next two or three years, we could have it. If we don't have a Democrat president, if we don't have Hillary, you can hopefully get through a Supreme Court justice. I'm telling you, they could change the whole Supreme Court. They could pass an amendment which says, you know what? We are going to change whatever the Supreme Court has passed. We're going to just pass an amendment. So then the Supreme Court can't say it's unconstitutional. That is the danger we're facing. It is part of the right-wing strategy, which started, number one, get control of the state houses so you can draw congressional districts and get control of Congress. Two, get control of the governorships. Three, get control of the Republican Party. And finally, let's have a constitutional convention to amend the Constitution to get exactly the kind of country we want. And the rest of us are just sleeping. That's what's got to change. That's very, very instructive, Jerry. Very instructive. Let me ask you a question. I think you're giving up on the idea too quickly. Let's go back to unlimited mileage for a second to set the Guinness Book of Record. You don't think that would get huge coverage, week-long coverage, morning zoo disc jockeys, Facebook Live, I could do that the entire week because you go on for 90 minutes, log out, go back on again. Children, just like when astronauts go to the moon, they did science experiments that that were shared in schools, gas mileage calculations, how many meals does it take to keep a grown man awake? I mean... Clothing. You could test clothing designs, materials, uh, synthetics to see in a rental how, how, car. In a rental car, you could do things of deodorants. Of you could. There's so many things. You are. T- you have no vision. You have no vision. Let me ask uh, Jerry <laughs> if uh, Dana Sipos and Jim knock on the green room door. I think she might be. Oh, she's right here. Excuse me. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Dana Sipos to come up. Let's give her a round of applause. She's an entertainer, a Roots music performer, and as she's coming up and getting at a place, let me tell you some things about her. We are real excited to have her. She is Canadian. She is here from Canada. She's on a national tour and is performing, among other places, locally at a place called Southgate Revival, which is a wonderful venue in northern Kentucky. And... Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her music in a second, but uh, Dana, do a song for us. All right, I would love to. Are people in Canada worried about Trump? Yeah, we are, we are yeah. worried. I think yeah. it's Cape Breton, actually, and on the East Coast that has yes. said, like, any political refugees from America, open-door policy. Right, we looked it up on the website. Yeah. And that first week that they put it up there, this is true. Uh, Mickey and I looked it up, 600,000 hits from people that are ready to move to Canada. Yeah. It's an incredibly beautiful place as well. It so. won't be after we all come there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll vouch for you guys. For yeah. you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. 
is called Blue Ridge. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. 
That's Dana Seapost. And by the way, you can hear her music at danaseapost.com. And I'm going to spell it for you. It's D-A-N-A-S-I-P-O-S.com. And uh, she has a lot of stuff on YouTube. And she's uh, headed for Nashville, correct? And that's a Muddy Roots uh, uh, festival, is it not? You record for Muddy Roots. Yeah, I've been on the label for just over a year or so, and it's a really yeah awesome label based in Nashville, and they do um, festivals all over the world, actually, in Europe, and they've started one in Brazil this year. And so, yeah, the festival is on the June Bug Boogie Ranch in Cookville, Tennessee. Wow. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's a really yeah. fun time. Yeah. So we'll be playing a few festivals and and just shows on the way down and back up to Canada. So, yeah. Okay, well, we're, we're really glad we, we got you here, Dana, very much. And we were talking before the podcast, and uh, you guys have to know, she does some touring that I've never heard of before, and you have a name for it. I'm talking about the tours you've done where everybody's on bicycles, a biking tour, a music tour. Mm-hmm. Carrying your instruments, there's no chase car. Yeah, Everybody all... has g- carrying guitars and whatever, and clothing, etc. While you're riding and, your bike, and the the entire PA system is on the bike as well. Oh, on so. someone else's bike, so everybody has a bike carrying various stuff. There, yeah. Does anybody the play the bass fiddle? <laughs> yeah, I hope not. yeah, that would have been an extra yeah. trailer. Yeah, but the other cool thing is that so we carry all the gear, the instruments, and the sound equipment, and then the the Sound system is actually pedal powered. It's bicycle powered as well. That's so amazing. someone from the audience is up pedaling, and that's what powers. Running the sound a generator, system. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a sort of on-demand generator in the bikes. So. And you you did it with bicycles. You also did it with canoes. This was in Canada, I take mm-hmm. it. Yeah, where all you're of from. them in Canada. Yeah. And you did it with canoes. You also did it with tall ships. Yeah, actually, the tall ship tour was in America. Okay. But with the Canadian, this was at the theater company that's also toured on this tall ship all over the world, but we were in, uh, toured from Florida to New York on a tall ship doing these, like, kind of, it was a kind of anarchist, uh, circus-style um, theater show on the, on the tall ship, and then the audience will watch from the port. And That is a great so, idea. Yeah, that's I like amazing. to get out of the, <laughs> the vehicle as much as possible. Not that I wouldn't support your I hear you. Thank request. you, sister. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. It takes a Canadian to I share this I would offer to join, except I need to get out and play shows along the way. Yeah. So right. Well, we could work, work that. Yeah. No. Make it a two-week Plus, trip. you have a brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to be polite. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Canadian in yeah, me. The Canadian way. Do yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, do a second song for us, would you please? All right. I would love to. Yeah, this is... a. Uh, Dana Sipos. New tune called uh, Lean Times. Hanging on, and 
sleep for our eyes and the heat of the day hung heavy with our hearts now you're pushing your luck each day till noon and i pray still today blessed In other words, and I'm not just playing smoke here, the, the, the talent level. I mean, I don't know if I'm, you know, I'm listening to the strumming. I go, oh, wow. And then I hear your voice, how it modulates. And, and then the words, do you start out as a teenager and you're sitting in your room and you're just, you spend a lot That's of time exactly alone. It. You must. <laughs> I mean, really? Because yeah. that, I can't imagine a whole bunch of people around while you're doing that. It, it oh, takes yeah. It's a no, long time. Very much alone, yeah. yeah and alone in my room and even when I was like slowly starting to play for family like they needed to kind of turn around and as you'll <laughs> notice like I keep my eyes it's much easier for me to keep my eyes closed when I play is that in your yeah. bloodline I mean a, a, a family of musicians and yeah well I grew up with my mom singing to me constantly Got Joni it. Mitchell nice. Leonard Cohen like grew well, up that's with a lot Joni, of songs I was and trying my, to think it's yeah, Joni Mitchell Canadian yeah. all Canadians yeah. and then and my my dad is a poet kind of a prolific oh. poet so wow although I didn't like quite grow up with him like I think it's it's, it's yeah, in there it's, it's, it's there. DNA yeah, yeah. So. Very cool. Yeah. Would you take Great. us out? And this is going to be wonderful because You're talking we're going to have talent. Canada join America <laughs> and sing uh, Lead Belly's Irene Goodnight. And Jerry Springer will actually do the second verse if you'll let him. Of course. <laughs> Thank All you right. so much for having me. Thanks for coming by. It's great having you. It's a treat. Dana Sipos. Sometimes I live in the country 
And sometimes I live in town Sometimes I take a great notion To jump in the river and drown You've been listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. You're in my dreams. You're back now, yeah. Sorry about the first verse.